Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. Our first exercise here in the Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Squat. This is the granddaddy of all of them, guys. One that we use at all levels of our training with a vast array of athletes. A couple big tips. I like to use a, something for our hands to support it. Make sure that strap is completely taut to the top. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it long. What I really like the most about it, guys, the iso-inertial wheel, we're going to use this with other squats as well. The other squats are working to depth. These, we're going to get to an athletic position and work our way up. Push hard and make sure you're fighting to hit that breaking force. As we cut reps, we usually cut depth as well to make it a little bit more transferable to what we do. This is an awesome exercise that I can't recommend enough. Throw it in your training. It's going to be great for you and your athlete. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you can find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over 100 different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I get to sit down and talk with Clay Buley about progressing athletes and developing a training program at the high school level. Clay is in a really unique environment where he is training up to 90 athletes in one group, and he breaks it all down for us. He's going to get into what his progressions are, how he sets up the room, how he builds his program so that there are places where they know they need to be to coach the kids and how they can keep things flowing, and how all of this is built around his general training principles and building relationships with the young people he gets to work with. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Let's get to the real deal, Coach. Yes, sir. Digging the hat. Hey, you know, Shout out always, Schofield. I, hey, always, always got to advertise every chance I get. This, yeah. this organization has literally changed my life, and I have a lot that I owe to them. And so every chance I get, I always got to represent, and I got to show it out. Yeah, man. Shout out Coach Sko. Shout out Rich. You know, those guys have done a great job with the rest of the crew building that. For those of you that don't know what the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association is, um, they're doing things to help really the backbone of what we do, and that is the coaches that get to work with the high school kids and build the base. So hopefully all the – fake confusion and kind of BS complaints of strength coaches in college can go away. It's like, oh, well, they can't squat and bend and do pull-ups. But more and more can do that than we like to say. And a lot of that has to do 
with them and guys like you, Coach, and the the long-term development plan that you got put together, which is something I want to talk about today. Yes, sir. I'm excited for that. And uh, and just a little shout for those of you guys who don't know about the National High School Strength Coach Association. It is an organization designed to educate, uplift, and empower all high school coaches, whether you're a strength coach or not, and all high school students. On average, between my in-school class and my after-school groups, I trained before all this went down. I would train over 300 kids a day. And so... 300 plus me and us, not 300 at one time, but that's 300 throughout the day. I'd have classes of about 50, and then, you know, I got my team teach another class that has close to 90 kids in it, and then after school, anywhere from 75 to 130 kids after school every day. And so it's a tremendous amount of volume of kids, but it's all kids getting better. And I got kids that are Division One, Power Five, uh, Conference Five level athletes, and a kid who can barely, and kids who can barely tie their shoes without falling over. And so you have all these ages, all ranges, all put together, uh, but the whole goal is making everybody better. And the big moniker I have in my program is everybody gets 1% better every single day. And if we do that and compound that with enough time and consistency, you're gonna accomplish a goal. Now, I, and I try not to, I try not to put unrealistic expectations in the kids' minds, because in reality, uh, we're going to be graduating about 250 kids out of my school this year, and only about 15 of them are going to be signed to go play at the next level, whether that you know be a junior college, an AIA, Division One, Two, Three, doesn't really matter. And so, the main goal is teaching and helping them to understand these goals and these lifelong applications of one, staying active, staying fit, but also knowing what it's like to put in good work, knowing what it's like to have consistency, knowing what it's like to have energy, knowing what it's like to put in work when you don't feel like you're wanting to work, just these great life skills that we're teaching through the weight room that you can apply into whatever you're going to do after high school, whether that's college, workforce, trade school. It's about mentoring and building up the kid more than it is about anything else. The weight room is just a fun way to do it. No doubt. No doubt. So let's get into that, man. Let's Absolutely. Let's talk about that because it, now is your school 9 through 12 or 10 through 12? 9 through 12, it's a public school. So here in Arizona, we have six classifications of school. 1A through 6A. 1A is the, uh, you got like 25 kids in the whole school, so you got what you got. And then 6A goes all the way up to 35 and 4,000 students in the school. And so pretty big ranges. I'm a 4A school, and so I believe the new classifications, that's 1,100 to 1,800, and my school has about 1,150 kids in it. And so we're one of the smallest, if not the smallest, 4A in the state, and we're constantly playing schools that have five, six, 700 more kids than us. And so our edge is going to be how do we get the most out of our students? How do we get the most out of our athletes? How do we keep our athletes healthy so they can be participating, so they can be playing? And uh, a little demographics of my school, uh, it's, it's a suburb school, upper middle class community is about uh, 6% of the school with about 40% of the school bust in from surrounding areas. And about 65% of my athletes are multi-sport, uh, two, three sport athletes. And then outside of that 65%, uh, another about 25, 30% of it is uh, singles, just one sport kids that play year round. And then the rest are just kind of kids who, you know, you know, you know, really like this one sport and they do other things throughout the year, whether that be academic band, whatever, I don't really care, just as long as they're involved. And so one of the thing that's different about my program that uh, maybe some other coaches don't like or wouldn't be interested in is I actually don't do off-season training. 
I only do year round training because 90% of my athletes are either playing and are in season with their club or they are multi-sports. So they're in season with the sports they have at school. The lot of my multi-sport athletes are three sport athletes. And so I have to do my best to be able to manage that stress bucket. I know we always, you know, I'm sure you do this with your kids as well. You draw the stress bucket and water flowing in. You have to be able to let as much water out of the stress bucket as you can. You can only take so much stress in your stress bucket. And so lots of times with my club athletes, especially their volume is way higher when they're not playing for the school than they are during than where they are playing for the school. There's horror stories out there. This uh, one of my softball girls told me, how her club practices three times a week, uh, three hour practices, and uh, the, her Tuesday and Thursday evening practices go from six to nine. Mm-hmm. School starts the next day at seven thirty. By the way, yeah. So That's I have to find. Important. Yeah, so, yeah. I have to find. Yeah, I know, right? If you got, like, if you have to take three, four hours for a practice, and maybe you should read the practice practice plans. Just, just saying. But, uh, but. I got to find a way to manage their stress levels. And I feel like it would be negligent on my part to ignore the outside stresses that they have. And so that's why we do a lot of in-season training for nine months. We get during the summertime, it's a little different because they're not sitting down for eight hours and I can actually program a little bit more intense off-season training. And so that's where the consistency really comes in. We really just cycle through uh, two week micro cycles of, and we, and I do, I have, uh, four by three, three by three, and a two by three tier, depending on what the demands are for the sport, what the schedule is. And so like my classes are on a four by three tier. I got a couple of teams that come in uh, three times a week. They're on a three by three, they're on a three by three tier. And then I have some teams that they're due to situation. They're only able to come in twice a week and I'm only able to get them for 35, 40 minutes twice a week. And they're on a two by three tier. And so I basically try to get as much as I can out of the main component list and try to get as much bang for my buck out of their training as I can. And so 90% of our athletes do about 90% of the same movements. Everybody's squatting, everybody's doing a deadlift variation, everybody's doing pushes, everybody's doing pulls, everybody's doing weighted carries, everybody's doing anti-rotation work. And so whether that looks like is gonna then depend on the training age of the athlete. Like in, like for example, in, uh, in my classes, in my beginner classes, everybody starts out goblet regardless. And we usually stick on a triphasic scheme uh, two-week eccentric, two-week isometric, two-week concentric, and they stick with a goblet until it looks pretty good with, and until it looks pretty good and they're able to sustain it for a load an entire workout. And if it looks pretty good and there's a decent weight, uh, usually about 50 to 70 pounds if they can handle that, then I'll let them graduate to a front squat. And they might stay front squat for seven, eight weeks until they're able to get close to their body weight on a front squat and then they're able to graduate to a back squat. And with the reps set schemes, once we get out of the triphasic, I basically just rotate microcycles of a week, sets of five for a week, sets of four for a set for a week, sets of three, sets of two, and then we recycle that and we just keep on going through that model over and over again. And the consistency and the focus on the movement over the weight, I uh, saw Coach DeChant uh, just joined. So Coach, thanks for writing that book. It really changed my, my view on training. So if you heard that, thank you for that. Um, just focusing that movement over the maxes and the constant refinement of movements yields pretty good results. Uh, our train is not complex, not in the slightest. We just focus on doing really, really, really perfect reps every single time. And if it looks bad, take it down. If it looked good, 
take it up a little bit. And just these slow, fine, refined of the movements over two, three, four years produces good results. Yeah, I think it's funny. You know, this is the sixth one of these that we've been able to do this week. And the one constant is slow, simple, specific adaptation to impose demands and progressive overload. Yeah, and, and honestly, as with a 14 to 18 year old, you know, we don't need to get into specifics. We need to build that base. We need to be that we need to build that general physical capacity that whatever they want to do, they're sustained enough that they could do it. And that involves getting out there and teaching them how to run, get out there teaching them how to move, and just mastering the basics. And uh, one tweet that got, you know, a couple people upset, but I put it out and I, I don't I don't really care because it needs to be said is, you know, why do we see collegiate and professional strength coaches teaching these incredible athletes how to master the basic human movements, but yet we see these rando trainers out there making these over-complex movements for 10-year-olds. Which one needs to be happening exactly? Yeah, and right. so, you know, you know, if, if you're this incredible high-level athlete, can you get away with that type of stuff? Absolutely, because you're just that incredible of an athlete. But that being said, we're dealing with general populations here, especially at the high school range, where you know what? You take a young lady who has never entered a weight room before, and she just hammered out a set of five perfect goblet squats with a 50-pound weight, and she says, wow, that's the biggest I've ever done. We just got a win right there, and we instilled confidence. We instilled growth in that young person that, you know what, they may have never gotten before. I've had so many times where I've told, uh, where I've told students that, hey, I'm really proud of you for the growth you made, and they are almost shocked, like, what do you mean? Because nobody's ever told them that they're proud of them before outside of a parent or a teacher has never told them that or so they've never heard those sayings. And so it's, it's really amazing the type of growth that can happen in the high school realm when good training happens. No doubt. I think too, that like another thing that is really rewarding with that is when they come back, if you do have the kids that get to go to college and they do well, like in the weight room and they're, they come back and they're really proud of kind of being ahead of the curve. And, and, oh yeah, you know. I had uh, I had one young man who who he signed to uh, he signed to Kansas for baseball, and he uh, he got he came back over uh, he came back over winter break that got done with their off season, and he asked me to get in the weight room a little bit. Like absolutely, open up. We need you to lift together. And I asked him about the program. He's like, coach, we did the exact same stuff. The only difference is their stuff is just a lot nicer than your stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But he's like, he's like, yeah, it was kind of nice that uh, the coach didn't have to get on me because my squat was bad and my, and my split squat was, was doing pretty good. And I could RDL and I could handle a, a, a decent load on a chin up. It was kind of nice that he didn't have to park on me as much and he was able to bust the ass of somebody else. He's like, that was really yep. nice. Crabby, what's up, homie? Uh, one of my guys just jumped on. No, but I think that no. what's, what, what, uh, what I think is really interesting about that, too, is it's like this whole idea of everything needs to be nice, everything needs to be shiny, everything needs to be pretty, everything needs to be new. Bro, a bar's a bar. It's 20 kilos. Like, gravity is gravity. You know, Ham brought that story up. Was it Monday when I talked to Todd where he had a guy that, like, his big thing was uh, – it's just gravity, man. Like squatting's just gravity. Pull-ups are just oh, gravity. Everything. Like right now, of, of all the times, right to talk about this, like 
my workout this morning was just an imam with uh with a, with a kettlebell and gobble squats and swings man you know 20 minutes of it 10 reps each and it's just it's just weight it's just gravity you know and that's that's all the work is and honestly that goes to the point of how valuable intent is intent has to be there you could have a great program great facility great equipment but the, if the intent is not there you're not going to get very much out of it and uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have a fantastic room and a fantastic space that I can handle up to 50, 60, 70 kids in there. A uh, little over about 3,500 square feet. I got 12, I got 12 platforms uh, on six half racks, 40 yards of turf and, and kind of an open turf area. And so I'm able to handle a lot of kids because I have a great room. But you know what? If I didn't have that great room, I'd find a way for those kids to still get the best out of it because that's the culture that we're trying to instill that intent is king that your the quality of what you're doing is more important than anything else and uh what happens a lot of times and i know this happens at the at the college level because i spent seven years at the collegiate level before i moved to high school you know every everybody just wants to focus on you know putting as much weight on the bar and moving it with that and that ain't what it's about it's about how well can whatever weight you have move it to the best of your ability and then that weight you're lifting will then become the weight you want to lift eventually and uh and a lot of freshman males <clears throat> hate it hate it when i was told them, like hey you got to start with this 30 pound goblet do me than that well you got to prove it first and so as we slowly refine slowly refine slowly refine that 30 pound goblet turns into a 90 turns into a 135 front squat turns into a 225 front squat turns into a 275 back squat turns into a 315 front squat over years and I think a lot of people try to do too much too quick. And that's, that's where a lot of bad things happen. When we chase numbers, we ended up getting injuries. When we chase movements, usually we get pretty good numbers from it. And, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm very proud of my kids and I'm very proud of my athletes who, you know, you know, our numbers may not be as big as other schools, but every number that's put up there is a quality number. And uh, when it comes time, for those classes and come time for our testing. I've actually changed this up since I've been there. I used to do seven weeks of training before our first initial test and then test the end of the semester. I don't do that anymore. We just do, uh, we just keep on training all the way through and then do a test at the end of the semester. So that way they get about 18, 19 weeks of training before they have to worry about handling a sub-maximal load for reps. I do a one to five uh, rep test on bench and squat and then a, a one to four on a clean variation that they're allowed to drop because I don't I don't like the kids using straps. I just feel like it's too much too just too much too much danger for not enough return. Yeah. And so it's not a traditional test, but you know what? It's all good. Because we're we're not testing weightlifters, we're testing athletes and we're just using weightlift to enhance the athleticism. And so like for those kids, we'll get we'll get some we'll we'll get some numbers just through data monitoring and just through tracking their loads. And so when the district asks for what I'm doing and I can give them, I can give this initial data and then the final test will show the growth and improvement and everybody gets better. And you know what, whether it's one pound or a hundred pounds, I've had kids who have gone up a hundred pounds on their max total uh, over a quarter of a semester. And then I've had kids who go up 15 pounds. I, I, don't really, I, I don't even care how much you go up, just as long as you're getting better and you learn the lesson of consistency, work and discipline yields positive results then we got to win.
kind of want to backtrack a little bit because there's one thing like right now intent is kind of one of those sexy buzzwords when it comes to training yeah but we also like to all talk about how we're moving slow and uh minimal effective dose and you know the whole idea of the movement matters most but those are two things that can definitely bash heads right like intent can get in the way of technical mastery. So how, especially with the younger people, um, have you kind of balanced that like teeter-totter a bit? Well, like for me, I always define intent as the technical mastery. Your main focus, and maybe I'm using intent wrong, but your main focus of the day is this technical mastery, is this mastering the movements. And so uh, kind of when we go over our classes or our workouts, whatever we're doing, I'll tell them what I'm looking for, the main goal of what we're trying to accomplish within that day. And whatever that main goal is, that's what I'm looking for. And and if a, and one thing I really try to do the best of my ability, I, I'm not great at getting every single kid, uh, but I'm good at getting most of them with this. When I see that effort and when I see that they're, they're really working and they're really trying for that intent on that technical mastery, uh, I'll go over and I'll reward them for that. And it could be as simple as a fist bump. Just going up to a young man who, you know what, he may only have 95 pounds of that bar, but we're doing a three, we're doing a three, one, one tempo. And he's really working hard to master that three second eccentric. And it may not look perfect, but it's, it's foundational and he's getting better from it. When that sets down, just going to give him a fist bump. Like, Hey man, I saw you working so hard on there. Great job. I'm proud of you. Just those little tiny moments for someone who's, so impressionable oh my gosh that makes the world of difference and they remember they remember those but on the flip side they remember uh when maybe that doesn't happen and so like for example if there's a young person who is working their butt off and you do not give them any sort of recognition they remember that I'm like man this dude doesn't care about me and i really try to do my best that every kid who comes in there when i see them doing good i try to let them know that i notice them doing good i'm not perfect but I, I feel like I do a good job at trying to recognize that and trying to acknowledge that because, because dang it, you know, adults need to hear it from their bosses. Everybody likes positive results, positive praise. Kids are even more so. They need to hear it sometimes. I put out a video uh, earlier this week because a lot of kids have been, you know, doing whatever at-home workouts or training in the park, whatever they're doing. And I just made a 45-second video just saying, hey, I love you guys and I appreciate all the hard work you're doing. I don't see it all, but I know what's happening, and I want to say thank you, and I appreciate you. And, oh, my gosh, I got so many messages from parents, from other teachers, from the students, just saying thank you for taking that time to recognize it. And just that little bit, and that's where relationships get built, is recognizing the work and recognizing the intent of the kid. And so that's how I, that's how I marry it, is I, I recognize that intent, and then I address the intent, and then that in turn – creates uh creates those behaviors that they want to improve but at the same time it helps build my relationship with those students if the, if, if that's the way to answer the question <laughs> no totally and appreciation is really an an underlooked and underutilized like thing especially today <laughs> absolutely and 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 honestly we can we can say as especially as strength coaches that we're very intrinsically motivated, which we are, but who doesn't like hearing from a boss or an associate or somebody else like, Hey man, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for being here. Who doesn't appreciate that? 
Everybody does. That's what good leaders do is they empower those that they lead. No doubt. So let, let's talk more about how this progression goes. Cause I think yes. all too often people, like they try to throw the baby out with the bathwater when you've got actual time, um, to, to do that because it's a matter of understanding that what we in the physical preparation side, you know, Matt and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, MJ, like what, what our viewpoint is on these things is a little bit different than the sport coach in a sense that taking the four years to develop them, especially from, you know, 14 to 18 is probably more important than taking the four years to develop them technically and tactically in the yeah. sport just because of everything that they're going through. So when I, when I create my programs, especially for the classes, I create a 20 week program because that's how long our semesters are. And so then I have to account for when our, when our breaks are, when our holidays are, and I, those become our download weeks just because they're not there anyways. So might as well take advantage of that rest when I got it. Or if there's a long, distance in between those those breaks and I'll add in a little download weeks so usually we get out of those 20 usually between holidays and everything else like that usually we get three downloads all throughout and so we usually stick in about six week we usually stick in about six week uh, mesocycles with two week microcycles in there and then from there if they're just starting they start with dumbbell or kettlebell variations and then once they get to about half their body weight or somewhere around there then they'll be able to graduate into the barbell movement and then once that barbell movement happens uh usually they stick within a front squat uh and this is this is our squat variation and so with the front squat i usually have them front squat until they're able to handle body weight on a front squat and once they handle body weight on a front squat that's going to allow them to go over to the back squat and if the back squat doesn't look good they just go right back to front squat and they just stick on those molds stick on those molds stick on those molds until they hit until they hit those ratios and then we go from there. And that does vary, vary a little bit. Like, for example, if I got a kid who's like 295, then I'll change that up a little bit that I'm not going to keep him on a front squat until he hits 300 pounds. That's a, that's a pretty big front squat. And so I'll allow him, I'll allow that athlete to graduate to the back squat once he hits about 0.75% uh, percent body weight. And then from there, just slowly refining the movement patterns, constantly coaching up and, uh, and, that's 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 pretty much it it's it's not it's not anything too tentacle it's just really mastering movements with every single workout with every single training session and so that's for example our squat when it comes time for our olympic lifting uh i do a bottoms up and a bottoms down approach so learn from the hinge learn from the floor and on our two dynamic uh effort days one's from the hang position one's from the floor position and usually we begin with an rdl and just a clean deadlift with light weight and then uh, once we get kind of settled on that, either with either with dumbbells or kettlebells, we'll graduate into eccentrics with barbells, eccentric lowering from a hinge position, eccentric lowering uh, from an up top position, and then we'll throw in isometric holds to be able to reinforce those sticking points then throughout. And then when we get into our concentric phase, we learn how to jump with the bar from hang jump shrugs, hang high pulls. And usually I don't allow kids to catch any sort of Olympic movement. And we, we mainly just stick with the clean. Uh, I don't do barbell snatches that much. Uh, just I feel like it's a little too technical for athletes. And I can get a really good 
uh, dynamic effort out of a dumbbell snatch. I just feel like it's just a little bit safer. Some coaches might disagree, but that's the quality of the coaching that's being put on. I know some coaches that do a tremendous job teaching the snatch uh, to their athletes, and they do a great job. I feel like I can get somewhat good with that, with a dumbbell. That's just me personally. And then usually it's about eight weeks before they start catching their Olympic movements. And then from there, they don't do any sort of test in the Olympic movements until they have another eight or so weeks uh, to test. And we just take that semester model and then recycle it through the next semester, recycle it through the next semester, and recycle it through the four years while they're there. And so I, I look at it as, as a constant refinement of movement, just like as you would refine a piece of steel, you'd have to temper it, take out the slag, take out the imperfections, shape it, heat it, shape it, heat it, shape it. That's, that's the kind of metaphor I like with our training that we're just constantly refining throughout the entire time, throughout their entire four years. So after somebody's ticked a box, right? So let's say I've gone through the goblet squat to the front squat, we've gone through that semester, we come back the next time. Do I start back with the goblet or am I just starting at the front squat? And how does that alter so I would, how you're programming it? And so usually when that happens, uh, usually we're able to graduate them from our, from our more beginner level classes into our more advanced classes or into our more advanced after school groups. And so like with that, you've already checked that box and then a break usually comes. And then from there, I'll have them start on front squat and then they'll go back through the same triphasic movement, but they'll just start at the front squat. If that makes sense. Or they'll start back so squat. Like, so my more advanced you tick the goblet box and just move on. Yeah. You don't have much. to come back and revisit it unless there's a technical mastery issue with that exercise in front yeah. of you. And usually it's good, even for more advanced lifters, it's good to start maybe not with the goblet, but it might be good to start again with the front just to make sure that we can refine, because you might've lost something over those two weeks and you might need a little bit of practice, or you might've gotten a little banged up and, you, and you've had to sit out a little bit of time just from it, just from your, um, just from your sport. And so then we'll kind of keep in more of an advanced level. And then once their front squat's looking good, then we'll go, straight to the back squat. And so it's not so much that here's a worksheet, you have to tick all these boxes. It's more of, okay, it's looking good, we can move on. Oh, oh, it's not looking good, let's kind of move it back. So it's very fluid in the movements, just like how my programming uh, becomes, especially after school groups, becomes a little bit fluid, because it might be, you know, uh, we, were, we were supposed to have 45 minutes, well, we had to have these team meetings, now you got 30 minutes. And so I have to change up my programming and what we're doing that day for that. Oh, looks like somebody doesn't like eccentric front squats over there. It's tough. It's okay, though. They'll get better from it. I know who does, Thomas Evans, because he's more freaking strong MFer. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I think that's so – let me ask you this question because yes, sir. I, I'm in a situation where I've got groups of kids in a, a room that's probably built for 16 to 24 kids, and we end up having like 30 kids a night show up. So – how do you handle a group of 90, bro? Okay. How so does that even like remotely work? Well, it is organized chaos. And for anybody who, for anybody who works in the high school realm and with large groups, it's always going to be organized chaos. And so what I usually do is within the, within the three tiers, I'll go ahead and separate it out so that tier one, tier two, tier three, and then I do more horizontal programming versus vertical programming. And so, let's say station one of the of lower body tier, that's our that's our main lower body movement of the day. And so like for example, let's let's just say if it's a squat, for example, then there'll be then there'll be that squat. 
and then station two will be a contrast jump so i can get a little plyometric movement in there whether that just be a, a vert jump in place rocket jump box jump something to kind of contrast that movement and then station number three is a complementary movement so um, i do a lot of push pull programming so for every one push i try to keep one pull so if i have more of an anterior dominant exercise i'll try to pair it later on with a posterior dominant exercise. And then station four is either a rest station, mobility, core stability, something along those lines. And so one goes to two, two goes to three, three goes to four, four goes to one, and they stay within one confined little unit within the work at that station. And I have that uh, for our upper body, lower body, total body sections, and whatever becomes the main emphasis, just with the tier systems become the tertiary emphasis the next day. And so that way I'm able to handle up to you know 60 kids in that group and everybody stays really confined and i tell them like okay you got 12 minutes to get your work done stay within your group stay moving and then i'm on the floor get as many rounds as i can in so i can keep and monitor everybody to the best of my ability and then up oh, 12 minutes done switch one station one goes to station two station three two goes to three three goes to one and that we were able to get that through in about 36 40 minutes so but in some of that programming too, there's some areas that would require a little less um, safety attention, if you may. Yes, and usually that's and usually that's our tertiary our tertiary emphasis. And so, like for example, that safety attention. Let's say if it's an upper. Let's say so. Like this is one of this is one of my favorites uh, for tertiary upper body. Set of five weighted push-ups. Ten. I only have I have two I have uh, two lat pull-down stations. Not enough. To get everybody so we do band lat pull downs instead from cable crosses that way i'm able to get six band lat stations set up band lat pull downs with uh with three erases and then the rest spot is loading the plate on top of somebody's back for push-ups and so right there i can keep those four kids in a very confined area and the safety isn't it's always important <laughs> but it's not as much of an emphasis i can trust my kid and if you can't do a way to push up, just do a set of five regular push ups, and then that load station becomes a rest station. You know what? I'm going to trust that you, as a young man, young lady, can be able to safely handle that, you know, five push ups, 10 lat pull downs, five each three way raises with five or 10 pound plates. I'm going to trust that you're going to be able to do that. And, you know, I haven't, in three years, I haven't had an issue with that. And so, yeah, no, knock on wood, right? <laughs> and then from there, that allows me to keep my focus more on, more on the higher technical lifts mm -hmm. than anything else along those lines. No, man, I think that's brilliant. So, it's, I guess the last question, unless people want to start firing some out for Yeah, please. And I saw some of my athletes hop on. Juju, I saw you hop on. Give me a shout out if, you, if, uh, if you're still here, Juju. Uh, what can college coaches do better for the high school guys? What can college do better for high school? Because uh, everybody asks the other way. Mm -hmm. So let me ask it. Let me reverse it. What can a college coach do better for a high school coach? Uh, you know, and this is going back to NHSSCA. Uh, what can college coaches do better for high school coaches? Uh, there is a surplus in our industry of great coaches at the collegiate level, and there's not enough jobs for everybody. I know you've hired uh, when you open up a when you opened up a position, you're probably getting anywhere from 100, 150, 200, 250, 300 applicants for a single position. Is is that not 
That's not too much. Position that wouldn't be exaggerated. Yeah, so like it's honestly working college guys help the high school guys out. If you're if you're a young coach or an established coach that wants more job security, if you've got a family, come join us. Honestly, because there's so many good schools that need good people in there, and it's not that they don't have bad people in there. It's that that person may not have the background, the expertise. Just like if you take me and you put me in an art class. I'm sorry, that's going to be a shitty art class. I'm going to do my best, but our final project might be the finger turkey. It's all <laughs> abstract, dude. It's all abstract. All abstract? Okay, yeah. perfect. <laughs> perfect. But along those lines, you know, that's not my expertise. That's not my background. I'm going to do my best, but it's probably not going to be what those kids really need. Take somebody with that background, that knowledge, put them into that experience. That's where you're going to help out because you're going to be impacting a tremendous amount of kids. Between my classes, my after school, and kids who train, I have about 500 kids in my program. And that's a tremendous amount of kids. Now, do I have detailed charts and data on every single one of them? No, I'm sorry, I'm one person. And uh, I don't have any software outside of Excel, and so I do my best. But I can honestly say I'm having a positive impact on probably 95% of those 500. And for somebody who maybe wants a little more job security, because that's the whole reason why I got into high school in the first place. One of my stops in my career uh, was there for a single single season of football. Uh, didn't quite work out and had to go look somewhere else. And that was with me with a wife and kid. Uh, that's not fair to them. And so I transitioned to high school. And, you know, if I have one, te if I have a, a team that has a bad season and I have 18 more that have good seasons, that's a pretty good amount of job security. And, and I don't want to get into numbers, but I'm now at a point where I can support my family and provide their needs uh, financially. And I'm able to, and I'm able to do that. My wife works as well. And between the two of us, we're get, we have a, a good fight, a good financial plan for our family and for our future. And, you know, lots of times at colleges, you may not get that. And I, I got offered a job, head strength coach for a small college for 24,000 a year. Oof. Yeah. I've had friends that, uh, I had a friend who took a, a head, a head division two job and he was 15 grand a year, uh, for football and two, and I think it was 400 a semester for every additional sport he took on. I don't know many places in America where you can support a family with that. And so if, if you want to help, if the college guys wants to help the high school guys, come join us at the high school. It's, it was the best choice I've ever made in my career as a strength coach was joining the high school ranks. And unless a college has a, a really freaking good offer, I'm, I'm probably not going to ever leave the high school ranks because I love it. So college guys, come join us. If you're looking for a job and you're tired of, of doing the rat race, look into high schools. There's emergency certification programs so that you can be legal to teach in the state. That's what I did, finishing that up this semester for my teaching license. There's plenty of programs like that in all 50 states. Look into it. You might have to go through a little bit more school. But the, the rewards you get from that are pretty huge. That's pretty awesome, man. Well, listen, Coach Flight, love it, bro. Appreciate your time, dude. Keep kicking ass down there, and we'll be in touch soon, bud. Let's freaking go, man. Yeah, man. Cheers to you. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity, Coach. Yeah, brother. Great to catch up. Talk to you. And a huge thanks to Clay Buley for spending the time with us today, guys. I mean, we ask people to share and to be open, honest, and candid with their sharing, but what more could you ask for? A man who literally told us everything that they're doing from day one out the door, their progression, what his situation is, 
how that's impacted what they're doing, his principles and what his primary objectives are and how they're molding that all together. This was absolutely awesome. And Clay, I can't thank you enough for being so open, honest, and candid with your sharing and, and really everything you're doing for these young people, man. Keep up the great work, brother. It, it's really appreciated. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.